0: The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Geoff Hodge, in for Ken Crowther. And this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, I've been taking your calls on everything from compost bins, magnolias and roses. We've also got some top tips of things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus our plant of the week. We go straight to your calls, and this week we start with Keith in Rochford. Good morning, Keith. Hello there, Kent. It's 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 Jeff. Jeff. It's Jeff. Um, Good morning. Um, Yeah, I've got a couple of um,
1: compost bins, Okay. purpose-built compost bins. Good. Um, They're full of grass that I've collected, the clippings, during the year, uh, but it doesn't seem to be rotting down very well. Is there um, anything I can add to it to make it rot quicker?
0: Okay, Keith. Um, the the issue is with compost bins is that they like a nice mixture of materials. Yeah, um, and and people talk about getting the the green and brown balance right, or the or the nitrogen balance uh, to carbon balance correct. And if you put a lot of gla- grass clippings on, they tend to compact uh, compact down, and that means that they don't rot very very quickly so in in future, it's always a good idea rather than chuck on loads and loads of grass clippings to try and find other materials that you can mix them with, even if it's you know torn up bits of newspaper that will add in to prevent them from compacting down so what i what i think if I, if they were my compost bins, I think one thing I would do is that I would um initially empty them and then try and sort of mix them up and get some more air back in them, and then put the material back into the compost heap. Um, and then if you're looking for um, an accelerator, I mean, you can buy compost accelerators from garden centres or stores, but basically all they are is a, is a source of nitrogen for the bacteria that do all that breaking down and composting. So if you've got... Um, uh, you know, if you've got some well-rotted manure or, or any manure that you can add in, even if you've got some grow more fertilizer or, or even a, a, a shovel full of spade, a, a shovel full of spade, a shovel full of soil, um, that will help to accelerate it. Um, but I think if, the, if it's so compact with all grass, I think my first thing to do would be to empty it out. Probably, probably not today because most of it will probably blow away uh, and uh, try and sort of get some air in, mix it up a bit more and then use your uh, compost accelerator
1: okay thanks Jeff does that help yes it does yeah and I said
0: next year try and put something else in you know try and mix some some weed leaves or if you've got anything that's um, you know potato peelings from the kitchen or if you're doing any pruning anything like that add that at the same time yeah okay then all right good luck thanks Keith thanks for for the call Thank you. Uh, we're now going off to uh, talk to Pat who is in stock is that right Pat it is
2: yes good morning Jeff good Good morning so how can we
0: how can we help you
2: well I've got Tomatoes, the Montana in the garden, which I cut down after it flowered um, earlier on in the year. Unfortunately, um, when it started to, to shoot again, because I've cut it down quite low, but I wanted more um, more foliage at the base. Yeah, actually. no, that's, that's
0: always a good idea.
2: Yes. Um, a piece broke off. Now, I don't like throwing anything away that <laughs> okay. has any sign of life in it. Now, I put it in a pot and it is growing. I've had it in the greenhouse. Now, do I keep it in the greenhouse over the winter or... I put it outside.
0: Okay. Um, the The thing for for clematis, which are which are generally, you know, the vast majority of varieties, particularly montanas, are are bone hardy. Yes. The, the the thing that would decide it for me is how much root growth has it put on. So, have you had a chance to look at that?
2: No, I haven't. It, it is growing. There's new shoots coming out at the top, and I haven't sort of taken it out of the pot to have a look.
0: Okay, uh, that would be my first port of call. I would um, right. go. What size pot is it in?
2: Um, oh, not a large. But it's, it's a it, uh, medium Four size in. pot, I suppose.
0: Okay, so yeah. something that you can pick up quite easily.
2: Oh yes. Okay. Yes, yes, no All right.
0: Problem. So, um, carefully turn the pot upside down, right. uh, and in between your fingers, support the plant and yes. and support the, the the root ball, and then yes. and then scrunch the pot a little bit to try and remove it. And if you do it carefully and you lift the pot straight up, you won't disturb the roots, but you'll be able to see how much root growth there is.
2: Right.
0: And if it's looking, you know, well-rooted and and there's a good amount of root on, personally, I'd get it planted out straight away. Oh,
2: really? Right, yes. I was thinking perhaps um, look after it in the winter (laughs) in the greenhouse, but obviously... um, Yeah, the thing
0: is, the the thing is if you leave it in the greenhouse over winter because it's a, a hardy plant... Yes, you're going to be mollycoddling it to some extent.
2: Oh right. So yes. it,
0: you know, it'd be a bit like you if you you know if you sat in front of a roaring fire on a on a cold day. You for, wouldn't for, want to go out. And you wouldn't want to go out. And if you did, you know, if you didn't put enough clothes on, or you went out naked, which I'm not sure. I'm sure you probably don't do in your garden. <laughs> Um, you know, you, you would get a chill, and it's the same for your plants. If you right. mollycoddle them, they get used to the warmer conditions. So okay, even if you're awesome not going to plant it out, personally, I would leave it out of the greenhouse over winter, leave it somewhere nice and cool um, and, and, and sheltered if possible. Oh, but
2: still in its
0: pot? But still in its pot, yeah. Oh, because right. that, Okay, that,
2: that's fine. Because that oh, will okay.
0: acclimatise it to the the, br- <laughs> the brutal weather that we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get. <laughs>
2: OK, that's why I would do that. I should wait until it stops raining before I go out there. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's
0: probably not a bad idea.
2: Thank you very much. All right, Pat,
0: thank yeah. you for your call. Take, you care. Take care. Thank you, bye-bye. OK, we're now going to move on to Brentford. Uh, not Brentford, Brentwood, in fact, and we're going to be speaking to John. Good morning, John. Morning. You, yeah. want, to be, you want to be busy with your secateurs by, the, by yeah. the looks of things.
3: Can I just mention compost, bins? Yeah, please do. You can tell you've got a good compost bin if when you lift the lid, it's heaving with very lively worms.
0: Yes, yeah, that's a good point. Or or if there's steam pouring out of it, that also yeah. that also yeah. shows that it's composting well. So, yeah, good point. Right,
3: go back to my roses. Normally you would only sort of prune back about six inches to a foot this time of the year.
0: Oh, I, I do. I, I'm a bit more beastly than that, John. I go a bit uh-huh. harsher than that.
3: Right? Can I go very harsh back to the bottom so that I can dig round because I'm getting ripped to pieces? <laughs> I've got some potatoes mixed up around the roses and it, it's tearing me to pieces. You're
0: growing potatoes with your roses. That's a, an interesting uh, plant combination. It works quite well. Yeah? Oh, yeah, I must, I must, I must give it a go. Um, the the hard prunings that you would normally do on your bush roses, say February, March, where you cut yeah. them down to, to four or six inches. Um, personally, I, I wouldn't go that hard at this time of year, simply because if we get if we do get a harsh winter and we get some severe frosts coming up after you've done the pruning, if you've cut them that hard back, you're likely to get some dieback of the remaining shoots which means that when you come to do your pruning proper pruning in February March the shoots may have well died back f- too far or may well have died completely so it's always better not to do the hard pruning at this time of year now you could take them back to say a foot high or nine, in, or nine inches high, but I wouldn't take them down to the, the normal height that you would do your hard pruning in spring. Leave, leave some leeway so that if we do get harsh winters, if we do get some severe frost coming up in the next couple of weeks, that there is still some growth left with healthy buds on for you to have a go at next year.
3: Yeah, a foot high it sounds all right to me, but it's still got buds on. This is the trouble. I've still got flower buds waiting to come
0: out. Well then, uh, <laughs> you've, got, you've got a dilemma. A you've got a dilemma, John, that yeah. only you can answer. Do yeah. I do I prune and, and take away the flowers, or do yeah. I get ripped to bits? Can you not um, get some string and sort of bring the branches in? No, slightly? they branch
3: out too much. For oh, okay, all right. They're all very old roses. All
0: so right,
3: I'll, I'll probably do what you've suggested.
0: Yeah, you well, you it, as I said, the choice is yours.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> if you want to get ripped to bits and you want your flowers, the choice is yours.
3: Yeah, almond potatoes.
0: Well, indeed. OK, John, thank you very much for your call. A tree is a great addition to any garden. Even a small garden can accommodate a tree. You just have to choose one that doesn't grow too tall or one that doesn't spread too wide, such as a fastidiate, upright or pencil-shaped variety. Crabapples or malice are among my favourites, and the first article I ever wrote for a gardening magazine over 30 years ago was on these trees. And I entitled it, Malice A Forethought. Yeah, sorry, corny I know. Crabapples have so much to offer. Fabulous spring blooms, followed by bright, colourful fruit, and often very colourful leaves. The fruit varies from small, cherry-sized, up to those that are big enough to pick and make into your own crabapple jelly. As well as being colourful, the fruit is also an excellent food source for garden birds. And it's worth knowing that if you're growing edible apples, crab apples are also great pollinators for these to help ensure a bumper crop. One of my favourite crabapple varieties is Malus Royalty. It's covered in velvety, purplish-red flowers in spring that are excellent for the bees, followed by small, deep purple fruit, which isn't useful for culinary purposes, but birds love them. Its leaves are an attractive, dramatic, deep purple, which turn a vivid red in autumn before falling. So it has interest all year round in every season and is the perfect choice if you're making a red-purple-themed garden. Royalty will grow to about 4 metres high by 3 metres wide, that's 13 foot by 10 foot, in 20 years, making it an ideal choice for most gardens. If that's too big, go for Turingo Scarlet, just 2.5 metres high and 3 metres wide, that's 8 by 10 feet. Or Royal Beauty, a purple-leaved weeping crabapple reaching just 3 by 3 metres. Or the Columna upright Laura. Crab apples are dead easy to grow. Just give them a position in good light, prepare the soil well with lots of well-rotted compost or tree planting compost, stake well and firmly for the first couple of years and water in well. Feed every year in spring with a general granular fertiliser and water well whenever the soil is dry. And you can grow them in large containers on the patio too. If you fancy growing a crab apple, or any tree for that matter, Now's a brilliant time to plant. The soil is moist and warm for fast establishment. You may even find nurseries selling bare root, as opposed to container-grown plants, which are much cheaper to buy. So that's this week's podcast plant of the week, Crabapple Royalty. Uh, OK, so let's get back to the phones. Let's try and sort out some more issues that are going on around the county. And first of all, we have got Sarah from Nookbridge. Is that right, Sarah? Yes, hello, good morning. Good morning. And how can we help you on this fine and sunny day?
4: Oh, I know, it's awful. Uh, I've got a fuchsia, which I've got in the pot. OK. And should I take it out and put it into the ground, uh, because I'm a bit worried in case the frost kills it. It's really beautiful this year. Uh, still lovely flowers on it.
0: OK, do you happen to know what type of fuchsia it is, Sarah? I don't OK, because basically basically, we have, we have two types of fuchsias. We have those that are, are, are so-called hardy, um, although depending on the winter they're not always 100% hardy, which, which can be left out in the garden um, and you could plant that out in the soil. But if it's, mm-hmm. if it's one of the bedding fuchsias um, mm. and, uh, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of varieties of bedding fuchsias, they are not as hardy. And if you were to plant one of those in the garden, if we have a severe winter, when temperatures drop to, to freezing or below, there is a good chance that it would get killed. OK. So it, 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 it you've no idea what the variety is?
4: No, I don't know what the variety is, but it's been in the pot for two years. Oh, OK. So it survived last year. I so did think that it had died because... Because it, it died it was, back. You know, it, it looked like it died completely, but it sprang up in the spring, and then it produced some lovely... Flowers this
5: year. Okay,
0: so it obviously survived last winter outside in its pot. It
4: survived last winter in the pot. Yes. Okay,
0: I'd um, I'd, I'd risk it for a Swiss kit if I was you. Yes, I would, uh, I would plant it out because you, I think what you're trying to get at is, if you have plants that are not. reliably hardy in a pot over winter then because the roots aren't protected by the surrounding soil they can get frozen Mm -hmm. and if the roots freeze then the plant will die. So yeah I, I would definitely plant it out in the garden.
4: Oh, it's in the garden. Oh, you mean in, in the soil? In the yeah, garden
0: yeah, sorry. Take it out of it. Take it uh, out of its pot. pot. Take, yeah, yeah, take it out of its pot. Plant it in some nice, good soil. Okay. Um, and and if, you are, if you are at all worried if we should get some severe winter, if you just have some horticultural fleece to hand, then you can just chuck that over the, um, over the plant and that'll give up to sort of five to six degrees centigrade of frost protection. Okay.
4: Okay, that's great.
0: Were that's you about to say good. something else?
4: Now the other, the, I've got a shrub, I don't know, it's, uh, it's about five foot high and about five feet coming out and it's got brown all around the bottom, is that blight? No. It's very brown around the bottom, it's green on the top but brown along the bottom. Might just be... It's just a green shrub, little tiny green uh, leaves.
0: It could just be um, old growth, Sarah. That has you know that has lost its leaves. It could not. It might not be a disease at all. And without actually seeing it, very difficult to it's say exactly what's brown. going on.
4: It's just brown around the bottom.
0: Yeah, it could just be old growth that's lost its leaves.
4: It's not a, something that's got into
6: it. I...
0: Without seeing its hair I'm afraid it abs- It's a bit without like it's a bit like me. It's a bit like me going to the doctor and saying, "Oh yes, my my mother has got spots on her face. What's wrong with her?" And the doctor's going, "You know, well, you know what the doctor's going to say. The doctor's going to say, well, 'Well, I've got no idea. Can't you bring her in?' So without actually seeing, it is. Can you have, have you got internet access? Can been, you, yes, can, I have. Yes. Can, you, can yes. you take a photo and and email it to Ken?
4: Yes, and I then can I'll, do I'll,
0: that. <laughs> I'll pass the buck, and then Ken can answer okay, it for you next the, I next can week. Have a look next week. Oh,
4: that'll be great. And um, now one other thing: Have you got time to? I've, I've got Come on, suckers. quick! If you're
0: quick, I've got hundreds of people waiting. You're gonna, you're yeah, gonna. I
4: know. Oh, uh, Cause panic. Can yeah. I feed it during the winter time? No point.
0: No point. no point. There's no uh, shrubs. There's no point feeding shrubs during the winter because they're dormant. Okay. So, so it's a bit like you eating a four-course meal when you're fast asleep. It, it's, not going to, it's not going to agree with you, is it? It's just that
4: I didn't have any flowers on it last
0: year and I thought it was because it needs... No, f- spring. As soon as we get through to sort of a little bit warmer weather in March, that's when the plants will start to wake up after their dormant uh, winter and they'll start growing and that's when they need a good feed. But again, a bit like you, when you wake up in the morning, you need breakfast to get you going. OK, Thank you very much, Geoff. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks. for your help. Pleasure. That's what, that's what we hear on BBC Essex on the Gardening Hour. So we're now going to go to uh, Great Wakering. We're going to talk to Pam. Good morning, Pam. How are you oh, this morning? Oh,
6: hello, Geoff. Um, not a very nice day, is it?
0: Oh, I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you like being wet and blowing around, it's brilliant. <laughs>
6: Um, I've got a, a, a bit of a problem with my robinia tree in the garden. OK. Is um, this the one
0: with the lovely yellow leaves, frizzier? Yes. Yeah.
6: Yes, it is. Um, anyway, I've only got a small garden, so what I've tried to do in the past is to sort of cut the top out yeah. of the tree uh, to keep it short.
0: Yeah.
6: But um, for a couple of years, what I've done, I've really... C- gone mad really <laughs> and it's ended up looking a bit like a totem pole
0: oh dear Pam, um, Pam so goes mad for- in great wakering oh dear yeah.
6: <laughs> so i've done that for a couple of years but the question is what should i really be doing to keep the the tree um small
0: well what you what you need is to put your secateurs away yep get a spade
6: <clears throat>
0: dig it up no. <laughs> and get rid of it because oh, it's, it. it's obviously the wrong tree for the place oh. you 've got um, when you when you when you buy a tree um it 's important to buy one that is that is you know, going to grow into the space you 've got and if you 've got one where it's it 's far too big and it keeps growing and growing and growing um constantly hacking it back it 's never going to like it it 's always going to look a bit a bit odd um yeah. And also it means that you're going to have to do it every year. And did you do yes. physics at school, Pam? Yes. How's, yes. Your, how's your physics? Do you remember the second law of motion? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so the second law of motion in physics says that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. And yes. you find that when you get to large trees and you cut them back hard, they rep- respond by growing more. So you're, oh. now, so you're now in a constant cycle. So personally if it was mine and obviously i can't sway you one way it or t'other because it's mm. your it's your tree but if it was mine i think okay i'm, I'm fed up of this uh, it, it's not the right tree it's in the wrong place i'm going to dig it up and i'm going to grow something far better
6: yeah i did actually i did wonder that
0: and if you want some good ideas for trees then if you listen to the podcast which will be available soon after the program finishes this afternoon i've recommended my favorite small crabapple trees
6: Oh, lovely. Which lovely would be a great,
0: audience. great way of replacing your Robinia. Yes, I'll
6: definitely listen to that.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you
6: very uh, much. So I've
0: got one, I've got one listener. Hooray!
6: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Pam. Thank you. And uh, I hope that sorts your problem out, although it might not be exactly the answer you wanted. OK, we're going to go to, um, where are we going now? Hullbridge. We're going to talk to Sue. Good morning, Sue. How is it in Hullbridge? Hey, is, it, morning, is, is it is it like the, feel like the Mediterranean over there at the moment? Oh, of
7: course. Good. Of course, it's absolutely glorious. <laughs> ah,
0: lovely. I'll, I'll drop in on my way home if, 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 yes, the, tree, if, <laughs> if the trees don't fall down in in, in front of me. Uh, in the meantime, how can yes. we help you this morning?
7: Um, I was watching a YouTube video regarding gardening. Okay. And it was a chap who was—he lives up north, so similar to what we have, but a little bit colder. Yeah. And he was saying that um, he was sowing a lot of seeds now in a cold greenhouse,
5: mm-hmm.
7: or a cold greenhouse, yeah. Um, and I wrote down the ones he said, and then I looked through my seed packets, and I thought, well, what is the criteria for being able to sow something now? Yeah, what type of things can I sow now, um, rather than what shouldn't? I don't want to be wasting any seeds, so what's also, shouldn't I be sewing now?
0: Okay. What what sort of things was he sewing, Sue?
7: He was sewing. I made a new list here: um, sweet peas, pansies, sweet Williams, nigella, uh, marigolds, delphiniums, foxgloves, and snapdragons. Oh, and also broad beans. Okay. <laughs> all I'm, right. Well, I'm very interested in the veg side, but
0: you're not interested.
7: No, no. I said I'm very interested. Oh,
0: you're very interested. In the
7: okay. Veg well. Veg the... side,
0: the broad beans—it's a—it's a brilliant time to, to sow broad beans, um, but you do need a winter hardy variety. The one that I always grow is called the Sutton, which is a dwarf variety. Yeah. Um, sweet peas again—it's a good time to sow sweet peas because they're—they're they're, they're both reasonably hardy, so they'll come through the winter in a cold greenhouse fairly well. The issue with with the others. Um, all the others, I think. Well, okay, the the delphiniums, and there were some perennials, so they're yes. they're qu- they're quite hardy. So again, sowing those now isn't necessarily a bad idea, but the ones that I, personally I would stick away from, unless you have the correct conditions, are the summer bedding plants.
7: Right. Simply
0: because, okay, right. if. If you've got if you've got the facilities to propagate them, if you've got the you know a, a propagator, heated propagator, or you can do it inside and you can get the right um, temperature for the seeds to germinate, that's fine. But the issue then comes of growing them on, and yeah. the vast majority of bedding plants, you know, once if they're outside in the garden, as soon as the frosts come and temperatures drop below four degrees centigrade, it kills them off. And if you imagine imagine that seedlings are like babies and are more uh, sort of uh, tender and um, don't um, uh, respond well to cold temperatures, if you've got a cold greenhouse, then basically Mm. the temperature inside the cold greenhouse is only going to be three to five centigrade above the outside temperature, and they need a minimum of five centigrade. So So if the temperature goes down to minus two centigrade the temperature in your greenhouse is probably only going to be two or three centigrade which is too cold for the seedlings if you can if you've got heating in the greenhouse and you can keep the greenhouse frost free then it may not be a bad idea
7: Uh, no i haven't got any heating no in that
0: case i would leave i would leave well alone because simply the other thing is of course is that light levels during the winter are quite low and if you sow lots of bedding plants at this time of year even if you've got the right temperatures, the light levels are low and they tend to become very thin and drawn and spindly. And normally right. and normally you find, come spring, they're such an awful state that you chuck them out and start again.
7: Yes, yeah. So it's all a bit pointless, and Indeed.
0: God, it's money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the ones that you would sow in spring would probably take over and do better than, than the ones you sowed now.
7: Right. What I have got, I've made myself a, a very large... Um, heated, bottom-heat table, it's eight foot by... Yeah, 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 three yeah, foot. yeah, yeah, good. Um, it's all insulated and everything else. Yeah. Um, what sort of lights, because somebody was saying to me that you get different, not actual colours, it doesn't show as colour to us, but different lights that are needed to grow things on through the winter. Through the
0: winter, inside. yeah, absolutely. Well, basically, there's, 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 I mean, there's lots of different types, and it, and it is to be honest too complicated to go into over over the phone um right. but but you can divide them into two types one that will uh, that gives out the right wavelengths for leafy growth and ones that give out the uh, the right wavelength for flowering growth well you don't want flowering growth you want leafy growth Yes. So, so I would look if you're going to go into this, which is a good idea because it's a great way of increasing the light level so plants remain sturdier. You want ones that are give out the right wavelengths for for vegetative or or leafy growth. Oh
7: right, so it's not a colour. I thought somebody said something about red light and blue light. Well, yes,
0: well, it's the wavelength of lights uh, that t- <laughs> that dictate how the plants grow. And 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 different wavelengths are different colours, but basically you right. want the right colours to give you vegetative growth.
7: Right. Okay. That's lovely. Thank you ever so Good much. Luck.
0: And if and if you do do it, and uh, and if it goes well, please um please you know uh, give uh, Ken a ring in a couple of weeks' time or, or send him an email to tell him uh, how how you've got on. That'd be brilliant.
7: Yes. Well, I must admit, I've enjoyed building the bench. So yeah. now, well, I've now much, all you've got to it. do is use it.
0: Yeah. Well, as, yes. you've, got, as yes. you've got bottom heat, then obviously you, are, you can keep the plants warm. You could put a propagator lid over the top and that would yes. keep them warm during the winter. And if you're going to put the lights on, that would be even better.
7: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'll let you know how I
0: get on. Please do, yeah, we'd love to, love to hear. So now we've had a couple of frosts, it's time to lift and store dahlia tubers once the foliage has been blackened by the first frosts. But don't lift them until the leaves have been hit by frost. They can be left in the ground, covering over them with a thick protective mulch layer, but it can be a risk in cold winters. And they come into leaf later in the year and flower later too. So start by cutting down the stems to about six inches above the ground and don't forget to tie a label. Dig them up carefully so that you don't damage the roots. A garden fork's probably the best bet. Remove any loose soil And then stand them upside down for a couple of hours in the dry, such as in a shed, garage or greenhouse. Then pack the tubers in crates of just moist compost, but not burying the crown. And that's where the stems join the tubers and put them somewhere frost-free. And again, that can be a a heated greenhouse or a shed or a garage. And those growing in pots, well, just move the pots into a frost-free greenhouse, shed or garage. And if your evergreen ornamental grasses took a bit of a bashing over summer, they may need a bit of a makeover. Although cutting them back is done in spring, you can remove any dead or damaged leaves now. You can even rake through the plants with a hand fork to remove all the difficult-to-get-at bits in the middle. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Let's see if we've got a few uh, texts coming in, have we? Yes, we've got a few texts. What have we got here? We've got um, hi, Ken, uh, and this is from Rob. Rob doesn't say where he is, so hello, Rob, wherever you are in the universe. Um, is it too late in the season to plant pansies or violas in pots? Good question for this time of year, Rob. Um, okay, let's 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 look at this. Basically, what it depends on the size of of the plants that you can get hold of. Um, to flower well during the winter. So if, you, if you've bought winter flowering pansies, because a lot of people have this problem and they don't know why they don't get their winter flowering pansies flowering in winter. They always flower in spring. It's because as the temperatures drop now coming from autumn into winter... Plants aren't growing, and plants can only produce flower buds and flowers when they are actively growing. So temperatures drop, the plants aren't growing, so they can't produce their flower buds. So what you really need are plants with their flower buds on already before we start getting drops in temperature probably by, I would say, by about the middle of this month. If the plants have no uh, buds, flower buds on by that time, then they are not going to flower or they're not going to flower much or at all during the winter months. I always say to people it's better to get them started, you know, if you buy plug plants particularly, is to get your plants started in September. That means they've got September and October to put on, you know, enough growth to produce lots of flower buds so that they reliably flower during the winter months. Um, I think it's, it's worth a go because um, even if you do plant them now if we have a mild winter they might start growing a little bit and certainly by planting them now you'll have some good plants that even if they don't flower in the winter they'll have a brilliant display in the spring um, and give you that massive colour before we start getting into uh, the summer bedding plants so I hope that helps Rob and I hope that, hope, um, hope that helps everybody in the county it's one of the questions I often get asked I get so many people saying oh, my winter flowering pansies never flower in winter um, OK, so now let's see. We've got another text that has come in, and this is from Dawn in Denham. And Dawn says, uh, we have a lilac flower-coloured tree, quite old, not sure of its name, but when we cut a few branches off, it died. Uh ooh, did we... Uh, we were gutted. <laughs> I bet you were. I would be as well. Did we disturb it too much? Um it all depends, Dawn. Again, it all depends on, on the tree and when you prune. There are some trees uh, and some plants that you know need to be pruned at specific times of the year. Uh, otherwise, they can get disease into the cuts, um, and that can cause them to to have die back. Lilac flowered oh, tree could be a number of things. Um, has, if, the whole, if the whole tree has died, then I think you may have either cut it at the wrong time of year or you may have cut it back too much. If there's still some growth left, um, I would make sure that in the spring you give the plant a good feed with a, a, a granular fertiliser. I'd probably use a granular rose fertiliser, water that in well to see if you can get some, uh, some new regrowth starting. If not, then uh, you are in a bit of a, a quandary don't know what else to say. Again, if, you, if, if you've got internet access, if you can email a photo of that tree to, to Ken uh, and his email address is ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk um, then he'll be able to look at it um, and if, if it's a week that I'm not in, his other expert will be able to look at it and we should be able to get a much better idea. Um, as I was saying earlier, it's a bit like you going to the dentist or to the doctors and saying that you're one of your family members is ill and what's wrong with them um you know we we need something to go on one of the best ones i had was a a few years ago somebody said that um they wanted to know what was wrong with their plant and i said okay can you describe it to me and they said yes it's uh, 12 inches high it's got green leaves and i bought it in sainsbury's and that's all i had so there we go okay so you're listening to the gardening hour here on bbc essex i'm jeff hodge Listen to BBC Essex wherever you are. On your FM or digital radio, download the BBC Sounds app. Turn on your TV. We're on Freeview, Channel 734. Or ask your smart speaker to play BBC Essex.
8: Playing BBC Essex.
0: Yes, this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour. Ken Crowther is away. It's me, Jeff Hodge, sitting in for him... Up until twelve o'clock. Now the thing about the gardening hour is that um, you phone us up, you text us, or you send us emails. But uh, not this week because we don't have access to Ken's email account this week. So you, you phone us up, you send us texts, we answer your questions. Well, we talk to you about your garden. Now it's a two-way process. We'll talk to anybody. We'll answer anybody's question. We'll reply to anybody's text. The issue is that we need you to talk to us. And um, whether whether I've upset you all, I don't know. But I'm looking at a totally blank screen. So this is your opportunity. Should you have a problem? Should you have a question? Is there something you need to know about a plant, whether it's a house plant? Are there information on jobs you need to do in the garden this week? Uh, all of which are, in fact, covered um, in the podcast. Uh, as I said, that's the gardening hour podcast, which will be available from BBC Sounds um, or wherever you normally get your your podcasts downloaded from. That will be ready um, sometime this afternoon, early this afternoon, so you can hear this program again, um, and then you can hear all the extra information that we've recorded on the podcast, which includes, as I as I mentioned, to the lady that had the problem with the robinia tree. Um, one of my favourite groups of trees are crab apples um, or malice, as we call them. Um, and Ken has been doing um, a sort of a, an, an arboricultural theme to the podcasts over the last couple of weeks, talking about trees. So I've, um, I've added to that and I've been talking about crab apples, which I think are brilliant. Um, In our gardens, I mean, I don't know about you, but in my garden, I like my garden to look spring-like in spring and summer-like in summer. I also like it to look autumnal in autumn and even wintry in winter. So I like trees that change with the season, or well, plants to change with the season, and that's why I like crab apples, because you've got the spring blossom, um, you've got the winter fruit, the winter berries, if you buy a variety that's got coloured leaves, you've got fabulously colourful leaves during the summer, and on a lot of varieties those give great autumn leaf colour too so it's got something in spring something in summer something in autumn something in winter um, and it's a great choice for small gardens so if you're interested the podcast from bbc sounds or wherever you get your podcast downloaded from will be available a bit later this afternoon luckily my call to action has spurred a number of people into action themselves so Excellent. We've got some people to speak to. So first of all, we're going to go and talk to Howard, and Howard is in South Woodham. Good morning, Howard. Thank you for saving my bacon. <laughs> how are Thank you? Dear.
1: Yeah, I just—I heard the—I heard the—the uh, the message, so I thought I'd better make a phone. Good. The subliminal message bit, bit, bit got got, got through you. to
0: you. Thank you. Yeah. So how That's can always.
1: I help? The I, I um I, 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 I troubled my lawn in the summer. Obviously, everybody did. I think with uh, the drought we had. Yep. Um, and it basically uh, became very, very bare uh, in patches. So I, so I actually scarified it and uh, spent a bit of time on it. Uh, scarified it, uh, reseeded it and watered it and obviously you know, with the amount of rain we've had, I haven't worry too much about that. <laughs> yeah. um, having said that, uh, within that period from September until now, I've cut the lawn twice. Okay. It's looking, it's looking really good. I have to say it's looking really good.
0: I like a man uh, that shows also, off about his lawn. I'm sorry. I said I like a man that shows off about his lawn. Yeah, so yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm quite pleased about it because it did look really bad. Uh, having said that, now I've um, I've got some autumn lawn feed. Now, as I said, I've cut the lawn twice. I'm just wondering if it's a a good idea or not to apply autumn lawn feed, uh, lawn feed to, to the lawns, obviously in, in dry weather. Um, I don't want to sort of um, upset the the growth that's, that's that I've achieved so far. Really, you know, but I, I just think it. it it probably could benefit, yeah. uh, but um, I just thought, I'm, not, I'm a little bit of a quandary the moment: whether to do it or not. No, What's your advice on that?
0: I certainly would, Howard. Um, yeah. the, the thing is about lawn feeds and lawn fertilisers is that they don't only make the grass grow upwards, and yeah. they don't only make it look a fabulous dark green, but they also make the grass grow outwards. So grasses grow by a process called tillering and they produce side tillers and that's how you get sort of thick swards, to use its proper word, really thick green lawns. So feeding throughout spring, summer and autumn will not only give you good green it will also give you a thick green lawn and and thick green lawns mean that also it can out-compete moss and weeds but when you do an autumn feed it's also high in uh, phosphates and potash which encourage root growth and the root growth is vitally important to get the plants through the winter, through winter wet, through winter cold, through summer droughts. So it's going to sort of drought-proof, if you like, your lawn. And it will also help it to stand up to pests and diseases. So I would definitely say it's not going to hinder, it's actually going to help.
1: Even so, the, the grass is still very young. Yep. Yeah. As I say, it's, it was put down around mid-September, and it's, it's actually come along very well.
0: Yeah, and if it's, if, it's gr- if it's growing that well, I would certainly still use it. Good, but, excellent. But I would probably use it at half the normal recommended application rate. Right, so yeah, because that's
1: one uh, mistake I made in the spring, actually. Last <laughs> oh, year I actually did tend to overfeed it a little bit. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. Trying so, to keep up over- watering was quite difficult and expensive, of course.
0: Of course, yeah. Um, so, if it, it, um, so if it says two ounces, know, it,
1: didn't, it didn't do any good at all.
0: No, uh, well, overfeeding.
1: No, someone said to me, "If you're going to feed your lawn at all, feed it in the autumn. It's the best time, obviously, with a lot of on lawn feed."
0: Yeah. Um, no, o- overfeeding will do far more damage than underfeeding. So if it says two square uh, two ounces to the square yard on the on the box, put on yeah. one ounce to the square yard. Yeah,
1: good. Okay, well, thanks very much for that.
0: Thank you, Howard. And thank Thank you you for your question. That's
1: fine. Okay, thank you very much. All
0: right, take care. We're now going to move off to um, St. Lawrence where we're going to speak to Linda. Good morning, Linda. Hi there, how are you?
9: I'm all right, thank you. Jeff, um, I've got bug.
0: Have you? Like, ooh, yeah, I, yeah, where, where's personally. that, in your, under your armpits?
9: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I shave well.
0: Oh, good, good.
9: <laughs> um, and I have no doubt that this was brought in um, on an orchid.
0: OK, yeah, yeah.
9: that's quite um, common. And now it's kind of spread to my cacti and succulents, which I've had for many, many years, and I wouldn't want to lose them. Yeah. Um, I did put the orchid out in, in the garden... Uh, because I just thought that maybe a, a quick blast of, of cold air overnight and then I brought it back in and the orchid the orchid is still okay, not sure about the mealy bug whether whether it 's still alive on it but it, it's it, it I try to clear it off, and it just keeps coming back.
0: Yeah, the problem with with mealy bugs is obviously you've got that the, the mealy bug itself, but it's also you know it's going to be laying loads and loads of eggs, and it can be quite difficult to clear up completely uh, easily. Um, uh, I was actually as a, giving a, a talk to a gardening club last week, and somebody that I was speaking to about mealybug bug. Um, came out of the audience and said, yes, I recommended that he used a product called um, Bug Clear Ultra. And okay. he came out of the audience and he said, I had awful mealy bug on some of my orchids uh, and I've used Bug Clear Ultra and it was the only thing that worked.
9: OK, and I get that from the garden
0: centre. Any garden centre and, and even some of the DIY stores will stock it as well.
9: Okay, right, I'll just follow the instructions and hopefully it'll all go away.
0: It should do. Yeah, it's okay. very good at, it's very good at clearing up the mealies. Right, thank you very much, Geoff. All right, you take care. Have a good one. And uh, next up we're going to go to Hockley, uh, where we're going to speak to Maureen. Okay, Maureen, how are you today?
8: fine thank you despite the weather good morning
0: Jeff. yeah well we have to you know we have to sort of think that you know the weather's just out there and we just get on with life don't we yeah
8: I'm just nice and cosy and indoors good. Yeah, well that's mind. even
0: better sounds brilliant <laughs>
8: um, I've got a number of chrysanthemums. The yep. proper ones, not the silly little fat <laughs> ones, you know. Um, <laughs> sorry if I offend any silly No,
0: you ones. don't offend me at all. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, the pro- proper chrysanthemums.
8: Yes, the real ones. Yeah. Asters and Japanese anemones. No oh, well, fab. I can't remember if after flowering I cut all the stems down to the bottom. I think I must have left them to their own devices last year because I can't remember what I should do.
0: OK, these out, outdoors are in a greenhouse... No, they're all outdoors. OK. Um, I would wait until you start to see the leaves yellowing. Right. And then you could cut them back to roughly about six inches from the ground level. Oh, OK. Uh, but leave the when the leaves are still green, leave those on so that they can feed up the, the, the roots a little bit.
8: Lovely. And also, if I just ask you quickly, I've got a number of those lovely salvias with the purple spires on yes, them yep. this year yeah are they um are they hardy and how do i treat them after flowering
0: okay they're reasonably hardy depends on the sort of winter we have but basically leave those well alone leave all the old dead growth on um until we get into warmer weather in march or, or early april and then you can cut those back hard as well but don't do it before we start to get into spring and warmer weather
8: Oh, I'm glad I asked you then.
0: (laughs) So I'm glad you phoned, I can tell you.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much. Okay, Maureen,
0: thank you very much. So, if the weather's bad or during a quiet time while you're twiddling your thumbs, wondering what to do, you can give your shed an autumn clean out. You can also clean old pots and seed trays so that they're ready for next spring. Use a dilute household bleach solution, but rinse well before drying. You can also clean, oil and sharpen all your cutting tools and that includes your hoe which also needs a sharp blade. Give all your tool heads a good scrub, removing caked on soil and wipe wooden handles with a little linseed oil applied with a soft cloth. You can also remove soil from bamboo canes, dry them and store them in the shed or other dry place and if they've got any rotten ends just cut them off. And either sharpen the blades of your lawnmower or treat it to a new one. And if you can get outside, clearing away any dead or dying leaves and other plant debris from the veg patch and from overwintering veggie plants improves the appearance and helps prevent pests and diseases next year. But when clearing away old pea and bean plants, simply cut off the tops for the compost heap and leave the roots in the soil they'll return valuable nitrogen to the earth, acting as a natural feed. And if you need a bit of a workout, dig over clay soils, but not light sandy ones. Exposure to frost and rain will help break down heavy clay, and if you add some organic matter to the soil, this will help greatly too. Quickly going back to the phones, and we are going to talk to Valerie from Gosfield. Hello, Valerie. Oh, hello. How can we help you? Sounds like you've got you've got paradise in your garden.
10: I no indoors. Indoors, uh, okay. Well, in the sun lounge. Yeah, yeah. I've got a, a bird of paradise that I planted a seed. Oh, must be seven or eight years ago. Okay. I can't remember. And this, I mean, it's beautiful. It's over five foot tall now. And um, this year, early summer, it had two lovely buds come on it, but they didn't manage to come out. They just dried and seemed so hard wouldn't come out now I've got two more and um, they're having difficulty coming up. one is I'm sure is not going to come out it's just going brown the other one I've given a bit of a helping hand <laughs> to the bud with my nail to try and release it a bit because it seems so hard but I'm just wondering why they're not coming
0: out OK the usual reason um, presumably it's fairly well pot bound is it? well it must be yeah. yes The usual reason, although birds of paradise always flower more profusely when they are pot bound, that does mean that, obviously, because there's so many roots in the compost, there's no room for water. And usually when flower buds, you know, start and then stop, it's because the plant isn't getting enough water. So um, I would just, and obviously we're into winter now, so you know you don't want to you don't want to be flooding them. But I right. would I would up your watering frequency. So don't you know don't give it far too much. But rather you know if you're only watering say once a fortnight, I might start to try and up it to maybe yeah. once or twice a week to increase I have been the frequency. Doing it at
10: least once a week. But, oh, okay. um, and I did try giving it a bit of. Um, Right, so.
0: Yeah, fertiliser um, isn't a bad idea. But, OK, so if you're doing it once a week, I would put it up to twice a week. Right. So I just get some more regular supply of water. What normally happens is that it has water, and then if it, the roots dry out, the plant says, oh, there's a bit of a problem going on here. I'd better get rid of my flower buds. So yes. if you can make sure that you keep the, 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 the supply of water going more constantly, you should right. get a better, uh, better outcome.
10: Yes. I mean one one bat is half out it's got lovely orange and purple top half, but i don't think the bottom half is going to get out of the
0: all right give it a give it a bit more pump pump up the water Valerie pump up the water a bit and let let's see if that works that will do that thank you very much okay, brilliant, thank you very much for your call okay let's go pop off to acton we're going to acton we're going to see susan um. Uh, it's great what they've written that you're going to talk about, uh, Susan. So um, I, I think I know what it is, but um, you tell me. What, what are you phoning BBC Essex about?
11: About the Christmas poinsettia. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it since last Christmas. It's uh, doing really well, okay, and they, I'm they've... putting it in a black sack for about twelve hours a day. Oh, okay.
0: Right, you are new you are, are, are keen and determined. Are very
11: yellow and transparent, looking a bit anemic. Should what I be feeding it?
0: The, what the leaves are? Sorry.
11: Yes, the new leaves.
0: Um, did you repot it before putting it in the bag? Well, this spring, did you repot it this spring? Middle
11: or of summer time, I repotted it, yes. Okay, so it's,
0: it's had a little bit of fresh compost. Um, it certainly sounds like you're either over-watering. Right,
11: it's only about once a week I do it.
0: Okay, when, whenever I'm doing that, this sort of thing with, with houseplants, I'm a scientist, so I weigh my plants. Oh, okay. No, I don't. I'm not that. I'm not that sad. Although some people say I am. I um. I, I pick the pot up. Obviously, if 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 the pot's big enough, uh, you know, if it's two, two foot in diameter, I have a bit of a problem. But I always pick pots up when I walk past them, and I, I waft them up and down in my hand. Right. And if you do that on a you know on a regular basis, you'll soon get used to to feeling how much it should weigh if the compost has enough moisture. Right. And if it feels, you know, heavy in your hand, then obviously it's moist and it does not need watering. If you pick it up and you waft it up and down and it feels a bit light, then that's telling you that it, it should need some watering. Or I, or I use my patented moisture content probe, which is my index finger. Pencil, yes. <laughs> and, I sho- and I shove it in the compost. And if the compost feels dry, the compost is dry. And if it feels damp the compost is damp. Yeah. And, that, and that's a better way of gauging watering on, on certainly house plants than, than saying, OK, I'm, I'm going to water it. I water it once a week or I'm going to water it today. or It's always better to, to have a bit of an idea when, when, it it, it. when it needs it rather than just going, oh, I haven't watered it for a week. I'd better give it some water.
11: So do you think I'm putting it in the bag for too long?
0: No, it sounds like you're doing the, the right amount of time. Basically, you do it overnight. So that's, that's, that's right. But I think feeding also will help. So, if you haven't been feeding it, I would give it I a liquid, a liquid feed with a um, high potash fertilizer. Um, right. Check the watering because yep. under under-watering and over watering will give you the same symptoms. Um, and I'm sure you'll be back on track.
11: Right now, what I, well, you just said about um, overnight in the bag, I put it in the bag during the day, and then leave it out overnight. So,
0: ah, right, okay, no, it's it should be it's best done overnight.
11: Right, I'll swap it round then, and 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 it'll be
0: it'll be easier for you. Right, (laughs) I I think if you do it overnight as well.
11: Right, I'll do that then. Thank you
0: very much for your advice. Thank you, Susan. Okay, we're gonna go to Steve, uh, who's in Colchester. Steve has an allotment, apparently. So, Steve, um, how's your allotment doing today?
5: Uh, A bit wet, but I'm probably going to go over and water in a minute. (laughs) Okay.
0: How can we help with your allotment?
5: Right. Well, basically, I'm struggling with it. I've had it about eighteen years. I'm not a real gardener by no means. I like growing things. I like growing things in season. That's what. I, that's what I've got an allotment for. I'm Brilliant. Just mad on food. Brilliant. So, but basically, um, I, I'm, I'm really struggling with it. I've got Twitch over there, and I don't really want to. Um, Put chemicals on it. I don't want to put carpet on it or cover it up. Is there anything I can do? I just I just find it sort of overwhelmed. I've what I've tried to do. I've done it because it's a ten rod. I've tried to do it in like um four quarters. Yeah. So I do flowers yep. one part. Yep. Um. Uh. Soft fruit the other side. I've got like nine or ten rhubarb plants. Um. And I'm I'm growing leeks at the moment, and um, it's just. Um, and parsnips and that, and I've got, I've got a few carrots in there that I'll put in there in the summer. Sounds but brilliant. I made it seem to be looking well, but it's just that digging, just, and my arms are killing me, you I'm know? Sure. But I don't want to give it up, because I'm, I'm 60 next year, so basically I think if I, if, you know, I want something to do when I retire, and yeah. you know, I want to keep it, because I have a job of getting an... A, getting an allotment you know so okay well the,
0: the prob one of the problems with twitch or or couch grass it has different names yeah, in different parts yeah. of the country is that the roots spread horizontally
5: i know they do so
0: if you know you could spend ages clearing up your plot, but if your next door neighbor has got it on his plot and he doesn't clear it up then it's going to constantly keep coming back so one of the things that you could do to, um, to, as a long-term solution is around the edges of your, your beds is, is to, you know, uh, put in paving slabs. Um, you can buy barrier root uh, material that looks a bit like um, roof uh, felt, which you can buy from yeah. a DIY store as a barrier to prevent the twitch or the cooch coming what, into what? your plot all the time.
5: What I've, what, what, part- I've, what, I've done, what I've done, I've done, um, I've got a trench, so it's about um, a foot deep. Yeah. So I've got that quite clear because I was okay. told about that trick um, ages ago. It's just on the plot. Just every time I go up there, I do some digging. Well, I have you, a nice time up there. If you're then- not going to
0: put, if you're not going to put carpet or a weed control membrane, and you're not going to use weed killers, I'm afraid the only thing that is left is is the big dig. Okay. So, sorry.
5: Okay. I'll don't, yeah, I don't
0: like. Have a have a party. Have a barbecue down on the uh, on the allotment and get all your mates <laughs> al- get all your mates along. Uh, I'm, you, a,
5: I'm, a, I'm a baker. I can make rolls.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, you provide the food and the beer, and uh, all they have to do in return is to give you a couple of hours of digging time. All right. Uh, thank you, Steve. Sorry, going to have to move on a bit. Uh, it's Maureen from Earl's Cone. Hello, Maureen. How can we help you? Good
12: morning. It's about pruning a magnolia tree that's probably at least 50 years old it had a haircut about five years ago that reduced it drastically it's in a communal area and it was done by a gardener um i have read previously that you shouldn't prune uh, magnolia but it is getting a bit heavy
0: Okay, I mean uh, you're right. They don't always like to be pruned, and giving them a haircut is, is really not the, not the best way to to, to treat a magnolia. Um, if it if it does need another going at, then the time to do it would be immediately after it flowers next spring, and. Ideally, rather than use secateurs and make lots of little cuts, it's much better to use either loppers or a saw to make fewer, larger cuts. Right. And and that is a better way of of treating a magnolia if you have to prune it.
12: Right, Okay, that's great. Have you got time for another quick question? Quick. Quick, rockery. I need to move a rockery. I started it last year, but it's too flat. I've got topsoil. I need to give it an uplift so I can see it from the house better. Yeah. When's the best time to fiddle about with it?
0: Well, you can do that now. I mean, all the plants—all oh, the okay. plants—are are, are dormant or dormantish. So you can lift all the plants out, providing it's you know—we don't get you know floods yeah. that uh, mean that you can't get on the soil or, or work the soil properly. Um, then I, I would certainly make a start on it now, most definitely. And okay, obviously, and right. obviously, if you get it done in time, now's a good time to um, to uh, to restock it with new plants if necessary.
12: Yeah, uh, yeah, I've got those ready. <laughs> okay, that's great. Thanks very. Thank you,
0: Maureen. Thank you. We're quick, OK, we're quickly going to pop off to Rollsby and we're going to talk to Kath.
12: Yes, hello, hello there. Um, yes, my problem
10: is, is with presents. Um We moved here two years ago. I bought some chrysants with me and they whether I should be cutting them down when they first start shooting, but they get to five and six foot high, which isn't normal, is it?
0: Well, some chrysants some are. It all depends on which chrysants you've got. Some chrysants...
10: I no, weren't like it when I was in Essex. Um, they, were, <laughs> they weren't as tall as that. Uh, and, and how I'm thinking, long? Well, why, why, on earth are they getting so tall? Because they they're quite brittle, aren't they? They snap off in the wind.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, some chrysants, uh, the, some dwarf chrysants, are actually treated with a dwarfing chemical. So if they were, if they're fairly not that old then the chemical may have worn off um what i would do is is in the spring is that i would cut them back hard so come right. late march early april i would give them a really good hard prune maybe down to to three or four inches wait until you start to see new growth appear two to three inches from ground level um, and that should help keep them a bit shorter all
10: oh, right yeah because they used to be about three foot now they're double
0: that high well you've got more for your money Kath, you've got a bargain. Thank you very much for your call. You take care. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, give us a call on 0800 1, 40 41 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from Eleven.